Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for joining me for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm so excited um, and feeling very honored for my uh, guest this evening to share her story. Uh, I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving with their friends and family this week and had some time to relax and rest away from the grind. Uh, We have a great show for you this evening, and my guest who's joining me in the studio is Jane McNeil. And Jane is a playwright. She is the philanthropist and the founder of the Lilly Foundation right here in Philadelphia. And she's going to be with me in just a moment. Be sure to stay with us during the breaks to catch our watch team segments, bringing you important information on your health, legal issues, technology, leadership, finance, and diversity. And in December, I'm thrilled we're going to be having um, two new members joining our watch team who are going to be bringing you some new information. So stay tuned for that. Uh, One of my favorite things about this show is hearing from members of our listening audience. So please be sure to reach out to me um, anytime at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. So now I'd like to welcome to the show my very special guest, Jane McNeil. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, Susan. Thank you for having me. And I just have to say one thing. I'm a co-founder of the Lilly Foundation. The co-founder. Okay, excellent. My husband is the other founder. Okay, very good. Thank you for the correction. Um, Listen, I thought I would start out with um, a statement. It's not necessarily a quote, but I think it um, lends itself to the topic we're going to be discussing um, with regard to your story. And that is that we often hear we're not to let our parents' lives and choices define who we are. Um, I wanted to ask you if you have come to believe that yourself. Um, I think I didn't realize how much I had 
avoided following one of my parents' footsteps in that um, when I became a playwright, I acknowledged the fact that my mother had been a playwright, but she'd also been other um, things as well. She was uh, a travel agent owner. Uh, She was uh, a realtor. Um, She tried to do everything, so she couldn't really focus on one passion, but I could tell that she wanted to be able to do so much at a time frame which women really weren't supposed to be doing that much. Um, There certainly were avenues, but she didn't, I don't think she had um, many resources. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have women around us supporting us. Uh, I think in her generation, it was to get married, have children, and uh, peacefully go back into the home and support your husband. And my mother just didn't want to do that at all. And um, when I became a playwright, I thought I had really avoided following her footsteps in that regard. I thought I'd done everything right not to follow her personal life footsteps, which I'm not um, totally against in some ways, but in others I am just obviously from my story. But um, when I became a playwright, I thought, wow, this feels good. I I did something that she didn't have the ability to complete, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm still wanting to pursue it, which I couldn't even look into a crystal ball and imagine what she would have done had she gotten as far as I did. She probably would have gotten bored and moved on to something else. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Well, you're so, we are so living in a different time. Um, You know, we talk so often on the show about um, the things that hold women back and the barriers and, but I truly only see opportunities for women right now because we have so much support and it is a different time. You know, Women to Watch is so much about sharing women's stories who have overcome um, some kind of a personal challenge, uh, because we all have them, Um, and then the ability to continue to move forward and find success in spite of those things. And your story is certainly an example of that, really, uh, to me, and truly inspirational. Um, So talk about uh, what happened to you and your family when you were a teenager at the age of 13. Okay. Um, I was living in a pretty conservative town in Florida. And um, my parents were uh, unhappily married. I knew that early on as a kid. Uh, But I didn't know the level of unhappiness. And uh, It was around um, the time that, you know, I was starting eighth grade and I was really excited to be in middle school and soon I would be in high school and I, oh, had a terrible crush on this boy and he lived, he had moved just down the street from me. And you know, it's funny, he was from a divorced family and I remember thinking, oh God, how horrible. Um, But I still liked him. I still thought there was something really unique about him. And of course he was that Mr big man on campus and pretty popular with the girls and um, only like a week before I thought I had a chance that moment like you just always remember what it was like before everything happens and I was really like an eighth grader focused on my social life and I put a lot of value into that and my appearance and what girls thought who were my friends and my parents were just going down this road that was really not healthy and I knew it there was also another person involved in their life that I knew was a bad influence, but they were adults. I wasn't going to question it. Um, And my dad was getting to be much more of a recluse. He was going inward. You could see it. He wasn't 
really doing things that he used to love doing. He wasn't playing golf on Sundays. He wasn't really talkative much. And he had also quit smoking, which was really weird for mm-hmm. him. And uh, one day, uh, we, you know, I got up in the morning, and my mother was sleeping across from me, and I thought, oh, God, this is bad. That bed that was across from me was typically vacant, and um, for her to be sleeping in my room meant something bad had happened, something really bad, meaning they were going to split up. And um, I didn't even think much about her sleeping there to bother her. She just wasn't the type you would come up to and kiss her on the cheek and say, morning, Ma. It was more like, oh, boy, better leave her alone. And plus, I was in eighth grade. I turned around and said, hey, don't forget about my dermatologist appointment. That was what was on my mind, my face, not anything else. And I was walking out the, the hallway, getting ready to jump on the, the van that used to pick us up at my house. Um, and it was a private school. I guess that was part of the deal. They, they would provide service even back then. And this was 1981. And my dad was standing there. And he, he typically wasn't there in the morning. And um, he, he was dressed in his pajamas. And I just thought that was really odd. But he was happy. He looked extremely happy. I can't explain Mm it. Um, And he looked to me and he said, I love you, Janie. And I said, yeah, whatever, Dad, because I was ticked off over something over the weekend. And uh, I went to school. And while I was at school, I just had this weird feeling to call home. And I'll leave it there for you. until you're ready to have the other part okay hold hold that thought and when we come back we're going to hear more um, from jane mcneil stay with us for our diversity and finance watch we'll be right back this is the women to watch diversity watch Hi, this is Hanadi here with your weekly diversity segment. Today, I'll tell you a little secret that helps me reconcile with people that do me harm or cause some kind of emotional pain in my perception. This is specifically effective with close friends, relatives, or partners. I used to find it difficult to move beyond forgiveness after meaningful discussions, specifically to the point of forgetting about what happened. How can you heal a wound so deep? How do you move on like nothing ever happened? How do you stop your brain from recounting the same story over and over again? There is one effective way that never fails me, and that is counting the good qualities in that person. Counting and recounting all the good things they have done. Literally writing down their good qualities on a piece of paper and going back to this list whenever anger or resentment mounts again. Over time, I find myself less angry and leaning towards forgiving and forgetting. My heart finds peace in abolishing any negative feelings towards any living human being. It's benefiting me first and them second. When God says in chapter 2 in the Quran, and do not forget kindness among yourselves, that means this is specifically what we should actually remember. The verse was addressing divorcing couples, so let alone married ones. Mercy and compassion find their way back to the heart when we keep people's good deeds in mind. Coming to the same conclusion from a different angle, when we see that there is nothing good in a specific person, aren't we just looking at his or her negative qualities? We are blinded by this person's wrong choices that we can't find a single thing to say about them. Well, this formula works both ways. So, which one will you choose? Because there is a choice here. 
Remembering people's good qualities, that's a prophetic ethic that has given me a wonderful 10-year relationship with my husband. To carry the conversation further, connect with me on hanadispeaksout.com. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Hi, this is Terry McDermott. And this is Maggie Carrado. And we're from Fortis Wealth. If you're thinking about retiring in the next few years, have you answered these questions? First, have you thought about how long you might live in retirement? A century ago, life expectancy in the U.S. was about 65. Today, if you are healthy and there is longevity in your family, your retirement years could last longer than your working years. What will your life look like and how will you spend your time? Retirement isn't just about money, it can be a complete lifestyle change. Given that lifespans are increasing, that lifestyle will continue to change over time. Speaking of money, have you figured out how much income you will need to support that lifestyle? Where will it come from? Will you need to supplement your savings in Social Security with part-time work? Do you know the cost of Medicare and supplemental insurances you may need? Basic Medicare is free to people 65 and over, but most people need supplemental plans to cover doctor's visits, prescriptions, and other items. Given that people are living longer, that is a mixed blessing too. Medical conditions that were once fatal have been eradicated and can now be managed as chronic conditions. Health-related expenses are one of the most important considerations in retirement. In a report released in June, the Vanguard Group, with the help from Mercer Health and Benefits, projected that a typical woman could easily face a $200,000 out-of-pocket medical cost starting at age 65 and extending over her remaining estimated lifespan of 24 years. Taxes are another item to consider. Most pensions, income from retirement plans, and Social Security benefits may be subject to tax. The amount of your taxable income will also affect how much you pay for Medicare Part B premiums. At Fortis, these are just a few of the concerns that we raise with our clients as they prepare to retire from full-time work or from their businesses. If you're planning to retire in the next few years, your advisor should be working with you on these issues, too. This is Terry. And this is Maggie. And we're your Finance Watch team. Peace out. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. I'm talking with Jane McNeil this evening, and she's sharing a very personal story, an event that took place when she was a teenager. And just before the break, you had mentioned that you uh, were at school, mm-hmm. and something prompted you to call home. I just home. had a gut feeling to call home, and I went into the... Um, but they had a middle school area. The The school had a, a long driveway and the, the front of the school was low, the lower school and the middle was the middle and the upper was, uh, you'd have to lock, walk down this long driveway and you'd end up at the gym and the upper school portion of it. Um, and I went into the middle school office and I said, did I get any phone calls? Are there any messages? Um, not like I was a business person and they had phone calls for me. I was like, did my mom call basically? And uh, they said no. I said okay. And then I went to get go. To, I went to uh, go to my um, PE class, 
and my uh, the gym teacher came in and she said, "No, oh, don't get dressed, Jane. You're wanted up at the head at the head of the uh, school and the, the main office. The principal wants to see you." And I just thought that was so odd. Like I just couldn't imagine why they were up, like why he wanted to see me. And why I needed to go up there. And Did you have a bad feeling or were you just... You know what I thought? I thought my mother had just somehow <laughs> come in and, and said, hey, get my daughter out of yeah. class. I want her to come to this appointment with me. It just didn't occur to me anything bad had happened. Not even when I was walking down that long driveway. And it was a sunny day. It was November. And um, I never thought what I would see when I opened the door, when I opened, when I finally got there. And it was my older sister and her husband, and her face pretty much told me something really terrible had occurred, but they wouldn't tell me what happened. And they said, we're here to get you and your sister, and we need to go to your grandmother's house. And that drive from school to my grandmother's house felt like the longest drive of my life because they wouldn't tell us anything, and they wouldn't drive by our house. And so I had no idea. I, I just had, again, an, an instinct that one of my parents, uh, they were dead. And that the other one was so distraught, they couldn't get to me. So I started thinking of why they would die. So I thought of um, my mother, who always tried to claim that she was having a stroke <laughs> when she was upset with us, that she'd had a stroke. My dad, who was always battling his weight, um, I thought he'd had a heart attack. I thought he was in a car accident, really, because he worked like a half an hour away. I knew that he had to drive a distance. Um, I just could not put my head around it because I was just too young. Mm -hmm. And I just remember pinching myself. I was scratching my arm and pinching myself, saying, this must be a nightmare. I'm in a nightmare. This can't be happening to me. And then when I got to my grandmother's house, um, everybody was there. And they were all standing around. And I knew when I couldn't find my mother or my father, that it was really bad, really, really bad. And um, I raced over to my grandmother and I asked her what had happened. And her response was a lie. She lied to me and I called her out on it. And I turned around and I looked for anybody in the room I could trust to ask. And there was a policeman in the room. And I walked over to him and I said, Officer, will you just tell me the truth? And he said, um, your dad uh, shot your mother. And uh, he called the police at 911. And he said, I've killed my wife. I live at this address. And I'm going to kill myself. And I said, thank you. And then I walked away. And uh, I, I remember thinking, everything's gone now. Everything. At the wedding day, my everything, gone. Um, and I, I wanted to get to my friends first. I wanted to tell them first what happened. I didn't want them to learn through anybody else. So I called a couple close friends. They were in shock. They, I had said, did you hear it on the news? And they said, well, yes, we know. And I said, yeah, this is, I, I can't believe it. They couldn't believe it. That we didn't really have much of a conversation. Um, and then after that, it was just kind of watching family come in, people bring food, us, my sister and I just sitting there. Uh, uh, I have a younger sister. Well, she was sitting next to me, and um, we were just sitting there 
processing. In shock? In shock. In well, shock. she was more in shock in some ways because her response was entirely different and she wanted to run home and home was only a mile away. Mm-hmm. And having her react that way was startling to me because I would have assumed she would have responded the way I was. And so she wasn't in a good place to deal with anything. And so I was just really watching people and processing what was going on. And I was stunned that my grandmother had told me something different. And she basically had said uh, that my mother had shot my father and that my father had shot my mother. That was the lie. And I was stunned. Wow, I was thinking a total different story because she couldn't bring herself to tell No, her first thought was to make up a lie so that her son would not be implicated in Mm. the worst way. And I find that uh, alarming for the mother of someone who murdered someone else, especially the mother Mm. of the granddaughter in front of her. So that told me she was not coming from a good place and that I was not going to trust her again. Um, And that's really hard. You know, your grandmother is uh, somebody you're supposed to love unconditionally and think she's in, you know, that she'll be there in your best interest. And she's the one who knitted everything for me, taught me how to needlepoint. She was the one who always had the the, uh, chest of toys for us. Um, She was very thoughtful when we came over. She would give us caramels. She would bake bread. She was so different than my mother's mother, and yet she was the one that showed the least compassion for my mom. Do you think that that was her only way to cope? Yes. Because if she had faced it head on, it would be too much for her it was. to bear. Yeah, and it was definitely her coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. And it was sad to see a woman her age becoming so broken in front of me Yeah. because yeah. that image was gone forever. Right. And she probably knew it. When we come back, um, I want to talk about your life after that very, very um, challenging event in your life. I'm li- um, excuse me. I'm talking to Jane McNeil, uh, playwright and, and founder here in Philadelphia. And when we come back, we will continue with the after uh, part of Jane's story. Stay with us for our Health and Leadership Watch. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch Health Watch. This is Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Electronic cigarettes, e-cigarettes, battery-operated devices that heat a liquid, usually with nicotine, making a vapor that the user inhales. It's called vaping. Smokers trying to quit feel like a vapor with some nicotine, no tobacco smoke, but still has chemicals, some of which are linked to cancer and another one linked to popcorn workers' lung, a serious lung disease. The Surgeon General, vaping is now a major public health risk in U.S. youth. After a big rise in high school use before 2015, the Food and Drug Administration now reports a 78% rise in high schoolers, 48% rise in middle schoolers just since last year. Nicotine content can vary, can be high, and doesn't always match the label. 7,000 flavors, bubblegum, fruit, alcohol flavors appeal to kids, especially those who never smoked. The adolescent brain still developing till age 25. Nicotine is more likely to cause addiction, move on to conventional cigarettes and other drugs like meth and cocaine, decrease attention, impulse control, and mood swings. In pregnancy, nicotine can cause sudden infant death syndrome, brain damage, obesity. Little children who accidentally swallow can have seizures and death. Batteries can overheat and burn people. Inhaling chemicals can aggravate asthma and cause lung disease. With vaping, we don't know the long-term effects. 
Newer versions, pod mods, higher doses of nicotine and flavors. Early versions look like cigarettes, but now they look like pens or even a flash drive. Easier for kids to fool parents and teachers. Recently, Food and Drug Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb announced several steps to stop this growing epidemic, including removing flavors except mint and menthol. Need help? Call 1-800-QUIT-NOW or visit smokefree.gov for Surgeon General tips for parents. Divas, watch over your kids. Sometimes the best love is tough love. Do you have a financial advisor who you trust that looks at you as more than just a number? At the Foley Hillsley Group, that person is Kristen Hillsley. Kristen's team has a different approach to managing your wealth called the Panorama Process. This unique process helps you obtain your financial goals easily because it's more than just investments, it's about you. To learn more, visit their website at fhbaird.com or call 610-238-6636. The Foley Hillsley Group is affiliated with Robert W. Baird and Company, Incorporated Member SIPC. Log on to fhbaird.com to learn more. That's fhbaird.com. So if you need a financial advisor you can trust, call Kristen Hillsley at 610-238-6636. That's 610-238-6636. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. Hi, everybody. Holly Dowling here with your Leadership Watch. And what an exciting time of year as we're hitting the end of our calendar year. And for many people, no matter where you are in the world, this is a time that many of us think about all the presents we're going to receive and all the presents we're going to give. And and no matter what religion or what faith you have, we're always in a place of thinking about presents. And so I want to pause and I want to give you a gift today. Presents is the greatest present you can give. Let me repeat that. Your presence, to be fully attentive and give someone your total presence is truly one of the greatest gifts and present you can give. So as you embrace this time of season, would you please pause? And as a leader in life, and remember, you don't need a title to lead. You just need to know that you have influence over every person you encounter every moment of every day, not just the people in your organization or your business and not just your clients, the people at home, the loved ones that you care about, and the complete stranger you run into or wait in line with at the grocery store. So take a moment and let go of the busyness and all of the distractions and give someone your total and undivided presence. And somebody asked me recently, what's the definition of presence? And you know, I have two words to give you today to be completely present means to be fully attentive and fully receptive because one of the greatest gifts we can give to others is the gift of listening. And you know, there's a whole art to being a great listener. So when you're being present, ask questions and then don't give people the glassed over look. Don't be thinking about what you're going to say next. 
truly be fully attentive, fully receptive, and watch someone's eyes light up when you've given them the gift of being listened to. That is the greatest gift today, your presence. Please reach out to me at hollydowling.com. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Thank you again for being with us this evening. I'm joined by Jane McNeil, a playwright and philanthropist and founder here in Philadelphia. And um, you just shared with us a very, very personal story. And um, I think it's very brave and courageous. And I know now what we're going to discuss is going to be um, inspirational to our listeners. Something I wanted to, to say is... Um, I was doing my research, and you had actually done a Q&A with, with someone else, and it was an article I read. And um, the author said that you had gained a unique perspective into the human spirit that everyday survivor um, and journey uh, back from the unmentionable will come to those people who, who go through that. And I want to know if you think of yourself that way, that because of what happened, you have this innate ability to see in others um, some kind of a struggle. I think it's true. I think when you grow up in a place where you have to be hyper alert um, and then you have something tragic happen to you, you just have this built in instinct. And it's not that sixth sense. It's just, you know, you're in, you go with your gut, your intuition. And having see people respond in tragedy is something you don't forget. And I think one thing that that was um, enlightening to me at that point at my eight, at 13 was I was paying very close attention to not only my peers, but my family and the adults around me. And seeing how they reacted in those moments was really eye opening. Were you were you paying attention um, in order to try to figure out how am I supposed to react to this? Very or much. Or was it just okay? Very much. Yeah. I was uh, one thing I I give myself credit for. It was the the strong urge to remain lucid. So I was paying a lot of attention to my role as the survivor, not knowing I was playing that survivor role, but making sure that I participated in every single thing that happened. Wow. So when my family came to me and said, would you like to pick out the outfit that that your that mom will wear or and dad will wear? And I thought, absolutely, I'm gonna pick out her outfit. I, I wasn't focused on him, I didn't really care. I was focused on her and doing right by my mother mm-hmm. and making certain that I saw her and making certain that she had a proper burial. It just seemed like, I wanted to do due diligence for her. Hmm. And my sister was completely checked out. That's how her coping mechanism worked for her. She was not wanting to be present at any of that. And I knew that if I wasn't present, that I wouldn't believe it. So I kept trying to test my reality with everything that was going on. And that to me was kind of the way I was holding on in a way that, you know, I remember being, you know, in boarding school and telling friends what happened to me and they said well I would just die I would die if that happened I I remember just standing there going did I have a choice you don't just die you get up and you you keep going if you have the strength to do that I think there's a strength that um, we as humans have different levels of that so if if you um, if you don't have that emotional strength then you might end up someplace else yeah and I I want to point out too, I grew up 
not in a household with people throwing knives and plates at each other and threatening each other. It was never like that. Mm. I grew up with a very dominating mother who was very much in charge of my father. And uh, I, I wasn't aware of his situation as far as how deeply he was affected by serving in the war. And that's where I believe it came from. Mm. But being around her, who was so strong, I think that's where I gained my strength. She had moxie, uh, pretty, uh, and you know, there wasn't afraid to use a, a whole chain of profanity if she was talking on the phone to a business person. And I never saw her weak. I just didn't. And I think that's where um, her tenacity spilled over into me. And if I was upset, she didn't really, uh, she didn't have a lot of sensitivity about that. Mm. So I would seek out places to go to, to friends to hang out with. I learned how to survive even before she died. Mm. And I think that's where it came from, honestly, that um, I had, you know, my sister with me, so I was never alone. But sometimes she would leave and she would go find other friends and I would have my time to be by myself and I found ways to keep myself occupied. So mm -hmm. I was someone who wrote in a journal. Um, she gave me those journals. So um, writing came writing to did you. come to me, yeah. but I never I never got a teacher to say, um, oh, gee, Jane, you really should consider writing. That came later in life, and it came completely um, in a in a very serendipitous way. But it and it also didn't happen until I was in college and later. And it was only one teacher who said it to me, but it was enough for me to say maybe there is something there. Yeah, because I hid it from everybody too. Is that right? Yeah. So it, I think writers, um, it, writing is such a wonderful escape and a place to go to um, to heal, to be creative, mm -hmm. all of that. And so um, I want to make sure we talk about the fact that at the age of 40, you decided to go back to school mm -hmm. and get your master's uh, of fine arts in creative writing. What was the catalyst for that? What was the moment you oh. said, I'm going to do it? Because I went to a retreat in Rhinebeck, New York, at a place called Omega. And the only reason I was going is that the, the course offered was called Writing from the Heart. And it didn't require any prior uh, writing experience. It didn't require a degree. This incredible woman said, come and write from your heart. And when I showed up, I was late too. My husband had wanted me to stay home for a concert. Um, James Taylor, how can you miss him? And um, <laughs> love him. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so when I showed up, I missed the orientation, and there were there were twenty two people in that circle, and my seat was right next to her, and she was just there every day rooting me on, and by the end of those five days, I I knew that I had something to tell. I didn't know what I was going to tell, and the more I explored it, the more I knew I had to go back to school to prove myself. What, what was her name? Let's give her a shout out. Oh, Nancy Aroni. Okay. And her, she's the Chillmark uh, Workshop in Chillmark, Martha's Vineyard. Excellent. Mm. She was definitely um, someone in your life that, you know, you would consider someone who believed in you. I call her my writing guru. She calls me Jane Zilla. So. <laughs> We're going to take another break and uh, stay with us for our Legal Watch with Carol Weinman. We'll be right back. You're listening to Women to Watch. Now, the Women to Watch. Legal Watch. I am here to talk to you about how best to address a student who has autism or other special needs coupled with out-of-control behaviors. Many of these students for whom I advocate 
often become aggressive in the classroom. They may throw things, yell, or even hit a teacher or fellow student. In the throes of the commotion, plenty of schools believe they must restrain the student and call the police. Understandably, safety is the school's priority. However, there are better, less invasive ways to manage such a heated situation. What is a school obligated to do? Well, for one, a functional behavior assessment, or FBA, should be conducted to determine what triggers unwanted behavior. Secondly, the school should design a behavior intervention plan, or BIP, to replace problem behaviors with positive ones. And third, the school must create a crisis intervention plan. This is an action plan used for times when a student may be at risk of harm to himself or others. I'm working with a special needs student who may be looking at jail time because of a meltdown. The school established a crisis intervention plan to prevent such a meltdown and failed to implement it. The plan mandated the student be allowed to leave the area when he appeared to be emotionally accelerating. Instead, staff members closed in on him. Predictably, the student became agitated and did whatever necessary to push these people away. In this case, that included striking a teacher with a nearby broom. Had the crisis plan been implemented, no one would have been hurt and no criminal charges filed. Call on the law to protect your child in school. Attorney and leading autism expert Carol Weinman offers one-of-a-kind solutions to your legal and autism needs. Recognized nationwide as the one and only autism legal expert, Weinman delivers exceptional results. Weinman is a master at putting together pieces to create a remarkable outcome. Contact Weinman at 215-591-3614 or at autismlegal.com. That's autismlegal.com. Carol Weinman, the leading nationwide expert autism attorney. Who is Holly Dowling? Holly is a dynamic keynote speaker and inspirational thought leader. You see what we have the ability to do and the power we have. You hold the power for good. Each and every one of us can do something. Holly has inspired millions around the world, including over 500,000 executives. And her show is listened to in 87 countries. Now we're going to spend 25 minutes on your areas of opportunity. Listen to our internationally acclaimed podcast, A Celebration of You, Holly Dowling, empowering those who can change the world. HollyDowling.com. Now more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Thanks for being with us again. Um, speaking to Jane McNeil, um, who's a Philadelphia woman. She's a playwright and a philanthropist and a founder. And I want to talk about a recent trip that you took. Amazing. Um, you just came back from a two-week trip to Tanzania, mm-hmm. uh, where you went to teach English to girls at a, an all-girls boarding school. And these are girls that are, you know, don't have the um, the resources uh, that we have here. No, that's Tell, putting it mildly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Tell me why you decided to go and, and what you learned from that trip. Uh, well, a friend of mine, um, Clark Blinn, that's your shout out, uh, had asked me to get involved with this organization. And I thought it was intriguing to help people uh, over the ocean. I just thought that was exciting. And to help teenage girls that were really surviving on nothing. And that just, to me, uh, a lot of the organizations I'm involved with have a special place in my heart. So uh, Peter's Place, that's a shout out to them in King of Prussia, on King of Prussia Road, excuse me. 
in Radnor. Um, that's a center for grieving children. Um, but uh, Sega uh, was this school started by these two incredible women, Tracy and uh, Polly uh, um, Nolan, and they felt there was a need. And I just was so in awe of this school and how wonderful it was. It was like this diamond in the rough. And here we were in Morogoro where there's such abject poverty. It's just hard to conceive and process when you come back here. But these girls were incredible. They had um, such survival skills <laughs> and it was such a sense of community. And yet they could be pain in the neck teenage girls. I found <laughs> like myself yelling us. at them like I yelled at my daughter and uh, <laughs> they responded and, and a little bit of me went, oh my goodness, I shouldn't do that. I'm like, wait a minute, they're completely misbehaving. And she, ca- ju- yeah. she just rolled her eyes at me. And, uh, <laughs> they're the same know, everywhere, They're the right? same everywhere. And I realized, um, when I told them a little bit about my story, of course I didn't tell them what happened, they just asked me about my parents and I had said, I lost them at 13. I actually had a picture of my mother with me. They saw it and they were just all giving me this compassion. Oh, Madam Madam Jane, we're so sorry. And I was absolutely dumbfounded they were giving me compassion. I mean, I knew they were good girls, but I just couldn't believe they were giving it to me because I felt lucky. And that's something I never thought I would ever think about myself. Mm. I mean, I never wanted to think I was fortunate in one way because I live a comfortable life. Um, that that was obvious to me in many ways, but I didn't want to like focus on that. But I think the idea that I was lucky, given my situation, it just it finally just hit me the right way. And I knew that morning that a decision could have made been made that I would not have walked out that door. So he let me live. And because he let me live, I feel very strongly about making sure that my purpose in life is to give back. If I'm as blessed as I am to have had the partner that I have who unconsciously loved me regardless of my background, and I thank my mother-in-law for that, I and my father-in-law for raising such an incredible human being, that he would just say to me, I'm here, I'm, I'm gonna love you no matter what. And he's always encouraged me to be more. And when I wanted to go back to school, he didn't stop me. He just said, you better be home. You better get me home <laughs> nights, certain nights, you know, you can't just disappear. And I said, you're absolutely right. I don't right. wanna miss you too much. Yeah, and That's I so picked uh, Rosemont College to pursue my MFA. Mm-hmm. I spent six years there. I wanted to continue uh, learning about, uh, or rather studying, playwriting and I went to Villanova for a year so you're alma mater my alma mater and uh yes. and then I you know I I stumbled into a wonderful theater that made me feel safe and allowed for me to pursue my dream but that's again where I feel really lucky so I want to um, mention I don't want the show to end yeah. without talking about Dishman I Springs know, I know and I want to say that Hedgerow Theater has been very wonderful to me and Penelope Reed has been one of those godsends and and a, and a guru I could never have dreamed about. She was perfect, the perfect actress to play my lead character. She pursued that role and encouraged me for a, a couple of years to continue going after it, which I would say to her, really, you don't have to. And she'd say, no, we're going we're gonna to do this. You're going to have a workshop. We're going to make certain this happens. And, and then it did. And I was just amazed at how she brought my grandmother to life. The play was based on my mother's side of the family. And again, um, out of the darkness, you find light. 
And so out of true. writing for six years about my real story, about my family and what I'd suffered, finally I got sick of it. I just got sick of me and memoir. I just didn't want to hear about my story anymore. Mm-hmm. It wasn't going anywhere. I didn't feel comfortable yet releasing it. Um, and then I thought of when I felt good and it was around her family and them making me laugh. And God, they were funny. Thank God for humor. Yeah, right? humor is you, what got that's me. That's a gift you it have is. as well. You it really is. Do. I really believe that. And I'll still find humor even in Tanzania when it's 95 degrees yeah. and I'm, every mosquito within a mile has bitten me and I'm starving for just a good old American hamburger. I hate to admit that. I'm not even a big meat eater, um, but I <laughs> was so craving okay. Shake Shack. Um, it's the best. Yeah. But I think that's the thing. Like, that's how you kind of say um, that these bad things, they do happen. You're not alone. You really aren't, but you're going to get up and you're going to start the day and the sun will come out tomorrow and you will find inspiration in different things, in different people, in different moments of your life. I don't have one consistent uh, place I go for inspiration. That, yeah, mantra, I don't. You don't. Okay. Well, I, you know, there's, there's days where I go back to something that Maya Angelou said and I'll say, oh, she was right. And then I'll go to Eleanor Roosevelt. I said, oh, Eleanor, you're on. Yeah, yeah. Or I'll, I will repeat Michelle Obama over and over again. When they go low, you go high. And I think that is a perfect mantra for life. She is one heck of a leading lady to follow. So uh, I get inspiration from so many, even like yourself. And that's why I feel even luckier. Oh, I think that's a great way to end the show. I'm so grateful that you came and shared this story with me and I'm our listeners. I'm so grateful you let me. I'm sure they're going to be inspired. <laughs> um, we have a lot more to talk about. We'll have you back on the show another time, maybe. I'd love to. Thank you Thank for you having so me. Thank you so much, Jane. Stay with us uh, for Mary Manzo and our Tech Watch. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manzo of Pathways Consulting Group. Stop your fears of automation in the workplace. It's not replacing jobs and here's why. Technology is changing the speed in which companies produce work. Have you noticed your workload has increased and not decreased? The reason, for companies to keep up with competitors, they have to constantly get innovative and market new things. Those things can potentially add more to your plate. Organizing all the things you have to do is hard and keeping all your tasks in one place could only help. And by automating the repeatable things you work on every day could give you the time you need to complete all the other things you have to do. So where did your job go? Right where you found it. Only difference is that through automation, you're able to be more efficient and your manager thinks you're a superstar. Reporting on your team's activities and tasks gets easier too. With automation reporting tools, you can spend more time analyzing what the reports are telling you and focus on recommendations for organizational improvements. The introduction of these new automated technologies can be scary because it's change, but if you embrace the change and see the benefits, you'll find that life at work can get easier and more efficient. At Pathways, we implement ServiceNow, which is a cloud-based platform that automates HR, IT, customer service, and so many other types of tasks, even tasks that go across departments. Through our adoption training, Pathways helps employees embrace the change automation brings by helping them learn the new ways to get their work done. If you're not at your desk and on the go, most automation platforms can go anywhere you go with mobile access. 
So if your role is to manage customer service, but meetings keep you away from your desk, no problem. Alerts can be sent to your phone and you can manage things just like you would if you were at your desk, never missing a beat. Automation can provide a multitude of benefits to any organization and to you. Leverage and embrace the change that automation brings to the workplace. Your day will become substantially improved and efficient. For more information, contact me at mary at pathwayscg.com. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Thank you so much, as always, to our sponsors and our contributors for helping me to bring you the real story behind her title. Have a great week, everyone. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.